Hi everyone, I'm Adam Johnson. I'm a dad and a rare disease patient advocate, a self-proclaimed dadvocate. From the onset of symptoms and even after an eventual diagnosis, the isolation was almost as excruciating as the symptoms themselves. I felt so alone in so many ways. One of the most prominent ways in particular was as a parent. I knew I couldn't be the only person with a rare disease who was also trying to raise children, but it sure felt like I was. As I've learned, when there's not a specific community you're looking for, one that you need, sometimes you just have to make it yourself. It's taken a while, but I finally decided to do just that. And here we are. This is Parents is Rare, a series brought to you by Energy in Action. Living life as a parent with a rare disease can be quite paradoxical. We laugh and cry, we're vulnerable and scared, we're brave and afraid, all at the same time. Parents is Rare is a community where parents like me, who have a rare disease or chronic illness, can connect, share, support, and be supported. Welcome back to the Parents is Rare series of the Energy in Action podcast. I'm your host, Adam Johnson. So before we jump in here, I want to mention something that I said during this conversation that you're about to hear. It's a reference from No Time Like the Future by Michael J. Fox. I've been leaning on this book for quite a while now, and if you've read my most recent blog post at rarediseasedad.com, you might know that I've gone back to this work quite a bit lately. When I was recording this episode, and then again today, I've been thinking about a phrase that he uses there. Michael J. Fox says, good things can come from bad things. I think I'll come back around to this in my blog again sometime soon to expand, but it just ties in so well with today's conversation. See, if you're like me, you value community. When I came into the rare disease world, I was fresh off of some stinging losses of community, and finding new ones was incredibly important. I was fortunate enough to find a mitochondrial disease community through MitoAction. I found a larger, more broad, rare disease community through social media. And now, I've been able to make and become part of a smaller, more specific community through this Parents as Rare series of the Energy in Action podcast. Now, each one of these different communities has been incredibly important for me, and today's guest really helps me tie all three of them together. I met Elizabeth Wood, a fellow Mito patient, through connections at Mito Action. Even though she lives on the East Coast, she has roots where I live, and she happened to be in town over the summer. We were able to meet up for a cup of coffee, and it was fantastic. Well, the conversation and the coffee, but mostly the conversation. Elizabeth was the first person from the Mito or rare disease communities that I'd been fortunate enough to meet in person. And as you may or may not know, I am quite the people person, and man, do I miss people. So I was really grateful to sit across from someone, to soak up the summer sun, and to just talk. Elizabeth and I were able to discuss parenting while rare and our mitochondrial diseases, among other things. And even though our conditions fall under a different part of the same umbrella, we could really empathize with each other. I learned a lot and really enjoyed our conversation that day immensely and reuniting virtually to record this podcast was just as helpful. Well, at least it was for me. Elizabeth might have a different view on things. We'll have to check with her. All that said, it was a fantastic discussion with incredible insight, wonderful vulnerability, and it leaves me with plenty to continue to ponder. So this podcast series, this particular conversation from today, and this friendship with Elizabeth, they're all examples of good things that have come from bad things. So without further ado, let's get to the discussion with my next guest on the Parents is Rare series, the wonderful, the funny, and punny friend that I am so glad to have, Elizabeth Wood. Hi, Elizabeth. How you doing? Hey, Adam. I'm, 
I'm well. How are you? Doing well. That's always the awkward question, though, right? Because like, you know, you said you're well. I said I'm well. Well, neither one of us are well, right? (laughs) No, I'm lying through my teeth every time I say that. But it can always be worse, right? It could. It could be I feel like I do or things are as they are. And we just had an earthquake or the next plague hits. So right. I'm grateful for everything as it is status quo without any extra. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's that's wonderful. I think that's great. I'm not a huge like comparative suffering type guy. You know, I don't go down that rabbit hole so 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 often, but it's also so true that things could be it could be worse. And I am with you in terms of the gratitude side, like grateful to be here, thankful to be here, and really appreciative of you taking some time to to chat with me. I want to just fill anybody that might be listening in. Elizabeth and I connected through Mito Action, who is, you know, obviously the lead for the for the podcast, the Energy in Action podcast through Mito Action. And this is the Parents is Rare series of it. Our good friend Stephanie, who is the patient support coordinator, sent me a text one day and she was like, hey, there's somebody who's not from Idaho, but has been in Idaho before and she's in Idaho now and maybe you can connect. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I hadn't connected with anybody in the Mito community before until Elizabeth. And so the last time we talked, Elizabeth, we were in the middle of summer out here in Boise at a coffee shop, sitting on a patio, soaking up the sun and chatting. And it was lovely. It was. I would go so far as to say it was magical to talk in person to someone else walking in something like my shoes because we're rare and that never happens. So it was so great to speak to someone I could actually relate to, especially on a parenting front, like parenting while having a a rough condition. Yeah, boy. And, And I like that you said talking with somebody who's like walking in similar shoes, right? Like similar shoes. We're not, we're never going to know exactly what it's like to be in that other person's shoes, but it was so great for me to meet and, and magical is a great word too. you know, so wonderful to be able to just get together in person and talk about those things. You're the first person in the entire rare disease community, let alone the mitochondrial disease community that I was able to meet in person. And I cherished it so much. My one regret is we didn't get a selfie We could have used that for our graphic on this podcast now, Elizabeth. (laughs) I know. I thought about that. We didn't capture that that moment. (laughs) We didn't, but I've I've got it captured in my brain and I I loved it. It's like the giant bass that got away. (laughs) Yes. Well, thanks again for taking the time. I wish it was still that kind of weather here. You, you you spent your share of time here in Idaho and you know you know the winters better than I in some cases. It's turning cold out here, Elizabeth. I don't like it. I'm just gonna say that right now. It's cold. We had a little snow on the ground this last week. I do not do well with the temperature regulation, especially when it's cold. I don't like it. I don't know. How's it for you out east? So we were just talking about how similar our shoes are, but I would trade snowshoes for flip flops any day because I can't regulate in hot weather. So Idaho was a challenge. You had a record setting hot streak, right? With triple digit temperatures. I was dying out there and I was so excited to get back to the East Coast where it's merely humid. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, please get me out of here. (laughs) 80 degrees and humid. Yeah, I do. I do not do well with the heat either. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I like the cold weather. 
Okay. All right. So you like the cool weather. All right. Well, that's good. This is your time of year that I'm like, I'm like a fall and spring guy. That's what I'm, I could just live in that, that section of time, that period of time. I'd be good. I'd be good with that. But Me too. Well, I got to know you, Elizabeth, when we were together a couple months ago and it was, it was fabulous. Can, can we start here by just having you share a little bit about you and, and your story? Who's Elizabeth Wood? Well, I was actually raised in Boise. So I am a native, born in Washington, raised in Idaho, and I benefited in early childhood from all of the wonderful outdoor activities. And I I think that all that vitamin D and sunshine and outdoor activity really helped early on. I am suspected of having mito. It's mitochondrial encephalomyopathy, lactic acidosis and stroke-like syndrome. So that's that's the one that I may come back with once everything's confirmed, if it's ever confirmed. And that's me. Is that me loss? Right. Is that me loss? Yeah. You know how hard it is to, to get that final diagnosis. It's an odyssey. I'm still on that particular odyssey and I've, I've been there for a long time. So my story is, is one of long-term adaptation to these inexplicable, irritating limitations or disruptions to daily life. And I've, I've tried to convert it professionally into insight that helps others. So I went into the human services professions, but my entire life, I've, I've struggled with vomiting in the morning, nausea. I have this whole system of working around nausea. I can tell you which foods taste just as good going down as they come back up. So I, I won't do any product endorsement on your podcast. But if you want me to drop names, I can't. And as time went on, I I had more and more difficulty with energy deficit and had a stroke by the time I was 27. And I'm really hitting my stride with lots of symptoms right now. And I'm in my 40s now. And looking back on it, I can see how my entire life has been affected by mitochondrial disease. And yet I feel like I'm lucky that I didn't know earlier because I'm worried I would have given up if I'd known what was coming. Like if I'd known that the stroke was just the beginning, I probably would have made different choices. I'm not sure I would have become a parent knowing the challenges. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I went, you know, full steam into, into everything that I could having no idea, you know, I didn't look down when I jumped and I'm glad that I didn't know how far down it went. And now it's just, you know, it's a life of learning constant flexibility and having to be in the moment. And um, and that's a, that's a, that's a really vague answer to your question about who are you? Well, in some ways, I think it might be a little vague, Elizabeth, but in others, I feel like it's incredibly specific. And in either way, it's valuable, right? Because, you know, like so many other questions, I feel like, you know, if you might ask me something, I might answer it differently today than I might have last week than I would next month than I did five years ago, right? Like, I think there's so many variables, so many factors that, that play into that all the time. Is that, I don't know, does that make sense? It does. Me as, as a, a creature that's always evolving, that's kind of my my answer. Yeah. 
the Elizabeth you get on paper is I'm Elizabeth Wood. I recently had to give up a professional life as a as a researcher at a think tank, and I I did a policy work and advising and and loved it. And I did it on behalf of the folks with disabilities, people with low incomes, and I, like they're my people. And I have felt that for a long time, especially since the the stroke, and have loved the ability to have like the energy to serve in that respect. And now I'm really diving into being just, you know, no longer just a system operator and owner, but a member, kind of like the old hair club for men commercials. And that's this huge, huge, huge internal transition. And one that's, that's also uh, pretty tricky to navigate as a, a parent. I'm a single parent too, I should say. I got divorced a couple of years ago single parent of a child with special needs and and a couple of really rare conditions, literally a one in a million rare condition. And I'm starting to, like I said, <laughs> really hit the symptomatic stride. So it's constantly navigating uncertainty in myself and for my child and in our external environment. Like it's, I don't know if you, if you experience that, that moment to moment uncertainty in, in your in your world. So much, so much, Elizabeth. It's a daily occurrence for me that uncertainty is something that I grapple with all the time. So that relates on many different levels for me. And that that situation is a for me type situation, right? There's impacts on my family, right? There's impacts on my wife, impacts on my kids, impacts on, you know, my extended family, my friends. And it's you know, it, it's all a lot to grapple with. Those are all considerations that I have. And the the physical side is just me, right? And I know that you've got that extra layer that you mentioned there with your daughter's condition as well. Do you, do you mind sharing a little bit more about that and how it is for you being a parent with a rare disease and parenting a child who has rare disease as well? Sure. My daughter has a, a couple of rare conditions and she may also have a mitochondrial condition. She might join the club, Adam. Yeah. It's it's not any club that we ever want to join, no, right? No, like we don't necessarily like, ooh, hey, you know what I want to do? Let's go sign up for a mitochondrial disease club. Let's do it. But on the other side, like kind of like you started out by saying, right? Like, hey, I, I you know, I'm good. Well, I'm good, really, compared to how it could be, right? Like, I'm still here. We're still above ground. We're still breathing. We're doing our best. And I'm glad that we've connected, too, right? Like, we've got Mito. It's not the club we wanted to sign up for. We're here. Right. I've got Mito, but I also I also happen to have indoor plumbing. Got HVAC. It's all good. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> got yes. shelter. My my daughter has something called 16P 11.2 deletion syndrome, which is pretty rare, although it is increasingly understood to be one of the more common genetic changes associated with autism and, and spectrum disorder. And it's a tricky one. It can create intellectual disability, developmental disability, it can cause cardiac issues. It's highly associated with epilepsy. My doctor does have epilepsy as a part of it. And she has this other, even rarer disease called alternating hemiplegia of childhood. And it's something that sits within this massive 16P deletion, the gene that's probably driving that uh, in her. Although a lot of this is still guesswork. Alternating hemiplegia of childhood is this really unpredictable kitchen sink worth of neurological 
disorders. And that has been, it's hard, it's hard to even communicate or describe to, to other people what it's, what it's like to have no idea hour to hour, day to day, whether we're going to have a good day or we're going to be on our way to the hospital or we're going to be presented with something completely new to manage. And I don't have a predictable set of internal resources physically to help lift her now that she's getting to be a big kid. She's in first grade. And so the physical toll of caring for her when she can't handle standing, walking, eating, all of those things, that is becoming a, a, a trickier and trickier proposition just to be a parent and I, I think, though, that the kind of hidden blessing and connection, even though we have different, even though we have different rare disorders, is that I understand what it means to have a rare disorder. And I have chosen and I'm very committed to always believing her. Like if she says she doesn't feel well, I believe her. And other people in conventional wisdom will tell you as a parent, you know, this to to think that, oh, well, is she just manipulating you because she doesn't want to do X, go to school, get dressed, whatever. And I just, I believe her. I said, okay, how can we work around this? How can we work with this? I believe you. And I think it's so important when you have a rare disease to be believed and not feel invalidated because there's so much trauma that comes into that, that I don't want to do that to her. And there's always so much risk and just kind of pushing her through the day that I will unintentionally invalidate where she is and never want to be in the position of ignoring her symptoms or shutting her down and making her feel like she can't communicate those things safely. So having that personal insight into what it's like, I feel like actually makes her safer, but I feel, I feel the personal risk of, gosh, can I can I safely take care of her if I get run down? So there's, it's this constant tension. Yeah. There's a give and take there that's just it's got a it's got a it pulls at you either way, like on the physical side. I would imagine it's also there on the mental and the emotional sides as well. And that's so difficult. But I would also like to, you know, for what it's worth, Elizabeth, commend you for your your stance there and for sharing those things with us. I, I really appreciate that. And I I just love that your daughter's in that safe space with you. Oh that cannot be understated. You know, it's I mean to have that perspective that you have is fantastic and wonderful. And it's going to continue to be meaningful for your daughter for the rest of her life. And you're absolutely right that one of the most challenging and most difficult things for somebody, at least from my experience, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but was not being believed about my symptoms. It's soul crushing, heart wrenching. It is. You know, it just tears you up inside and, an additional layer to that is when it's somebody that you know and that you love. And I, there's no stronger relationship than that of a mother with her child. So thank you for being that that person with, with your daughter. She, she's lucky to have you as, as you're lucky to, you know, to, to be with her as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, as, as I become more symptomatic, I, I often grapple with thinking poor kid got stuck with me. <laughs> I can't run and play with her. Like when she's up to running and playing, I, yeah, I have to sort of outsource that to her dad, who is perfectly well. But there's this constant kind of challenge to feeling, especially like I'm making it emotionally safe and giving her the tools to be okay with being 
different since she's starting to face those peer pressures about how you fit in now that she's in first grade. She already feels different and internalizes it. And she's so strong already. She's been battling these things since she was about two. And she's so strong. She's overcome so much and helping her see that as a superpower instead of a liability is something I I hope she takes away from it. But it's, yeah, it's a challenge on the mental health side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How is that for you, Elizabeth, as a person, as as a mom, looking at these things as a superpower? Because there's just this interesting dynamic there from my perspective. I've, I've been there. I feel that. I want to come back around to how you interact with your daughter, because I used to be the one who would be the one running around playing, being active all the time. I can't do that anymore. But I want to hit on this point that you just brought up where you feel like you're like, man, I feel bad that she has to put up with me. You know, and I'm paraphrasing there. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I feel that same way about my kiddos sometimes where I'm like, oh, I wish they could just have the dad that would be the one that get out there and do it all and not have to put up with this and not have to take breaks because he's got to strap into his breathing machine and, you know, not be able to do these things the way that we want to do them anymore. It weighs on me. It's heavy. I feel that it's hard. And I, and one thing that I just really appreciate about what you just said about your daughter is viewing those things as like a superpower rather than a liability. That's a long winded way to come back around to my question. Like, how do you kind of take that approach with you for Elizabeth? I am such a hypocrite. I mean, sometimes I'm better at it than than others. I am too. I hear you. Yeah. (laughs) I struggle much more with it myself. I feel so much for you that like all of the the crushing and the the feeling of God. I just want to break out of you know this this new physical cage I find myself in when I just want to play with my my child freely. You just want to run freely. That's that is so hard. Within myself, I. I think that I've appreciated how much more empathy. I can imagine so many more situations um, and relate to them as a result of this. It's been such an education in what it's like to be human for lots of different human experiences than than I, I would have understood or could relate to without these experiences and challenges. And so it's it's like the the silver lining. I I never I never want to pressure anyone to finding a silver lining in something crappy because sometimes you just want to be allowed to feel badly about what's happening when something's really bad. I feel like that's okay. Absolutely. But but there is a lot of strength that that can arise from it. You never know what you can do until you're presented with some massive limitation and it it's forced quite a lot of creativity into our lives. Sometimes I feel way too mentally burnt out to be creative, but there are activities I probably never would have thought of to to do with my daughter if not for our limitations. We think, well, neither of us feels up to doing anything. How do we still have fun? And those things can become ours, our special times. And we intentionally carve out special time as a result every day. And and it's out of this acknowledgement that we need time to be normal. We need time to have fun. 
And regardless of what's going on, we need a space where we can meet each other exactly where we are and be okay with it, however we are. And cherish that time because both of us are pretty sick. We honestly don't know how much time we have, not just in absolute terms, like breathing, but how much functional time do we have left? I don't know if you feel your functional battery, like it'll run out before you actually leave the planet. And I think that timeline scares me even more than, you know, the the absolute clock for Elizabeth. That resonates for me a lot, especially when I look back on where things were compared to where things are now. And for me, this diagnostic odyssey period, you know, was 10 months or so before I got my my clinical diagnosis. And then at that point, you know, you can fast fast forward a year, another year and another year. And here I am. And when I look back at those things from a functionality standpoint, that's on like the macro scale. But then even on the micro scale, there's times when I think about that as well. And you're helping me kind of process through this and think through it in in real time, really, Elizabeth, because I do see that on a day-to-day type scale as well. Right. My daughter started basketball season. I love it. It's wonderful. I'm going to the games, right? Like I'm going to be there and take the precautions that I need to take to be there in a way that's doable for me. And I got to backwards plan my day in order to make sure that there's enough in the tank to be able to do that at the end of the day. And I already do that in general just to make it through a normal day. And so it's this other, you know, paradox where I'm so glad to be here, so thankful to be here, love going to spending, you know, that time with with her, watching her play. And I wish it wasn't like this. You know what I mean? It's those seemingly contradictory type feelings or in this case, I don't, it's not seemingly, it's full on contradictory. I hate this and I love this all at once. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Like you can be in both places at once. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm an emotional Schrodinger's cat all day long. <laughs> Always kind of split on those things too. And I, I, I feel that reverse engineering my way into ordinary activity, like the hoops that I have to jump through, the amount of extra preparation that goes into just going to the grocery store that feels like this monumental decision feels very risky it feels like like the same emotional energy and preparation someone else would approach a camping trip with and it's just getting out the door (laughs) yeah i don't know about you but i get horribly jealous of people with energy like the one place i get really jealous in my life is people with energy (laughs) and people like Vacation photos where like everyone's just able to walk to the beach and play with a little bucket. And I try to think, how could we make that happen? And then I just, I feel crushed sometimes thinking like, oh, we would need it. We'd need a whole entourage to make that happen. And that stinks. Yes. It's hard. And I, I feel that too. And especially I, you know, I grapple with that. The beach analogy is just wonderful. We took a a vacation for the first time in a a while to the beach uh, over the summer and it was great and I love it. And the beach is like my place. It's where I can kind of escape and get out and not think about anything. I just, I just love it. I talked with another friend about the beach and the mountains being the places to go, right? The places to escape a little bit. They're my, my happy place. And not being able to do those things was something I'm like, oh man, this is hard. And, you know, have to use my scooter to get around on longer distances and have to go through that thought process. But that all 
hits really differently now. And I hear you on the jealousy side for those people that are being active. And I'm really grappling with a lot of this right now. You know, there's two different writing pieces I'm working on, Elizabeth. One is a letter to my rare disease, a letter to my mitochondrial disease, where I just unleash on it and tell it off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I use some choice language and I get after it in there because that's how I'm feeling inside. And some of the things are just what you described in various aspects, various components, right? Like, you took my work away from me. You took my community away from me. You took my love for, well, I guess my love for it's still there, but my ability to do it's not. I can't go out and play sports. I can't go out and do those things that I used to love to do anymore. And I struggle with and miss my old self, even though there's the good things that can come from bad things as well. Right. And that's the other side, the other topic that, you know, is always there as well. So yeah, boy, so much to consider. Everything that is you sort of being stripped away and you're left with a brand new slab of stuff to carve like a new sense of self into without any of the old labels or whatever, whatever activities you thought made up you. And you have to just be comfortable with you, the center of you without like socially acceptable thing um, that you're putting out there in the universe. It's just you and your soul and you're left alone with your soul with a mirror. And that's pretty uncomfortable. I hear you. And it's one of the things I really still struggle with. I mentioned, you know, some good things can come with with or from bad things. And that's an ism from the Michael J. Fox book that I just was reading, No Time Like the Future. And there's so much truth in that. And I still just grapple with and miss my old self. And I still struggle with because I, I get it. Like, we got to do things for us. And also, what does that even mean? And also, when I think I know what that means, and I can't do the things that I did for 35 years before right now, when I'm 38 years old, and I, for the last three years, haven't been able to do those things, and especially so now as things progress, forget that. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. But it's what it, it's what it is. And, and I'm here. So now I got to figure out, okay, well, what what do we do now? And I still don't know the answers to that. But I'm trying and I'm moving forward. I'm finding outlets. Do you ever feel pressure to come up with like reasons to like all of this to make other people feel more comfortable? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, wait, why am I doing that? In a sense, when because I feel like there's two buckets there and maybe there's more. But my initial thought is there's two buckets there. There's the people that you know and love, you know, your family, your friends, your acquaintances, former colleagues, where you're trying to help them feel better about the situation. And that I I grapple with that sometimes, too, because I mean, that's kind of always who I've been, Elizabeth, is trying to be a person who kind of does that. Like, I love to focus on you. What do you need? How can I help you? How can I process this with you? Move forward with you, give you some ideas, give you some suggestions, just be there to listen. What can I do for you? And then there's also this other bucket of like other people that might be in a similar boat. And I guess for both of those, I kind of struggle with that sometimes. I love it. I wouldn't change it. And it's a it's a big point that I continue to grapple with. I don't know. How about you? Well, I mean, it's how we started the conversation, right? Like, how are you? And and there's that moment where I pause, like, should I be honest or should I just say the like socially anodyne, <laughs> totally pre-approved script, right? I'm awesome. Yeah. Great. Living my best life. 
And then I feel like this great distance grows and, and then I have to reconcile that later somehow. There's always this reconciliation at the end of the day, which I'm not sure who I'm lying to more than me. And it's, there's definitely a place for it. And, and sometimes it feels safer to not share and and sometimes it feels like, oh gosh, I probably should have shared more so that that person felt space to be comfortable sharing where they are. There's the spectrum between privacy and transparency. When you have a rare condition or you're parenting a child with a rare condition, like when do you share? When do you stop sharing? What is the truth? It's kind of a challenge to feel, especially when it's an ever-changing situation. It sometimes takes a hot second for me to realize, gosh, where am I? What is going on? I'm just trying to survive. I haven't even had a second to kind of process. Yeah, exactly. And that's another layer. There are so many layers. This is like the ultimate onion when you keep peeling things back. And, you know, when you're when you're sharing about those things, Elizabeth, I feel like that's just it's vulnerability is the word that just sticks out in my mind. Because when we when we're asked that question or when we try to dive in or then we say, oh, we should have said a little bit more or maybe we should have said you know, in this way to give that other person that opportunity. It's also being incredibly vulnerable because you don't know what's going to come from the other side of that. And that's, that's it, right? Where you just lay your heart out there or your, your mind out there. You just say, this is where I am. This is what's going on. How's that going to be received? And my, my big thing is always, as I'm considering that, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, okay, if I say this, then I know this person. This is how they respond typically to this type of a thing. So how do I then change what I'm going to say to make them be more comfortable? And then I go and I have to reconcile that, like you're saying, with myself later on. <laughs> so it's, boy, it's a really tricky dynamic. I think it's something that is a really important conversation as well it's it's something to continue to kick around and grapple with and i don't know how you know everybody else processes those types of things but all those play out in my mind yeah in those those situations so elizabeth i want to hit on a couple of things before we wrap up i really appreciate your your time and you know thank you for your thoughts and your insights this has been fantastic i've i've got a lot to to reflect on myself which i always appreciate in these types of conversations but one, one thing that I always do like to ask about, and you hit on it a little bit earlier on, is, you know, the different ways that you are impacted as a, as a parent. And specifically, and, and partly for selfish reasons, I'm always looking for other ways to interact with my kids <laughs> or different things to do with my kids now that I have this condition that's, that's continued to progress. And I know what the before this was and the after is and... I always like to hear what other parents are doing with their kiddos. Could you, or if you don't mind, take us inside a little bit of one of those windows. You said you set aside time every day and you build that special, you know, bond with your daughter. What does that look like? It varies from, from day to day, depending on what we're mutually up to. And that's the thing, like we both have to be up to whatever the task is. A lot of our special times are spent indoors because they, they tend to be at the end of the day when we're both a little run down. So one example might be there are days that I I can no longer hold up a book to read to her without a lot of pain in my my shoulders, my arms. It's hard to sit up and read to her. And I, I like to write. I like to make up stories. 
And, and she actually loves this. So I will just start spinning tails for her. Just, and this, this isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea, but an example for us. Um, the place to, place to our strengths in the moment. She loves to hear these tales and she likes to help build them. And so we'll just kind of tag team, like what happens next? What happens next? And we ultimately kind of mad lib our way mm-hmm. to this really crazy story. And then we might try to draw like a little picture. We crack each other up <laughs> building these, That's great. these tales. And yeah, and then it, you know, it just comes our time. We started sort of recording some of these because some of them turn into kind of fun stories and that we can then reference later. That's a great example. Thanks for sharing that. That's wonderful. So the one other thing that I wanted to bring up, because I feel like it's potentially you know helpful to, to others, it's a, it's a term that I haven't been familiar with until all of this stuff started happening. And I know that we share some similarities here in terms of our diagnosis and now our continuing care, both for me, for you, and for your daughter, and that's physiatry. And my diagnosis came as a result of my physiatrist. And for, for those who weren't familiar, that's a, a doctor who specializes in physical medicine and rehabilitation. I don't really know where the physiatrist part comes into that. That's probably, it probably makes sense scientifically. Maybe you know more than I do, but I'm like, physiatrist? But <laughs> Musculoskeletal system. Yes, like, there we go. Yes, I like it. <laughs> the things that make you move. There we go. Okay. Well, look at you. There we go. You're just rolling with the info there. I like it. So the physiatrist, though, was an important part. That's what helped me get to ultimately a diagnosis. It's a clinical diagnosis. I don't have the genetic confirmation just yet. You and your daughter both see a physiatrist as well. How has that process been going for you? And what what benefits have you seen there? Not that this is, you know, medical advice for anybody. We always know that and preface everything with that. Like, always in consult with your doctor, all that good stuff, right? But it's been a a helpful lead for me. And I wonder how um, and what you can share a little bit about that from your perspective. Sure. I've had a deep and sometimes meaningful relationship with the medical field for many years now. And I had never heard of a physiatrist. And it even looked like a misspelling. Is it a psychiatrist? No, it's a physiatrist, (laughs) Right. right? Like I wasn't familiar with physiatry. And yet they are my new favorite medical specialty because they are so helpful and solution oriented. So it's going to the physiatrist for us, me and my daughter included, has been a totally different medical experience. It's not that you go to the doctor, they look you over for a few minutes and then say, do these tests or try this drug. And then we'll come back and we'll just have a nice chat in a few months. Sound good? Okay, bye. Good luck. God bless. And the trips to the physiatrist have been concrete. They, the physical exam and the tests have led to real insight into what's happening in our bodies. And then the things that come out of that visit are also helpful. So for me, I got, after having an electromyography study, kind of looking at how my muscles respond to nerve impulses and nerve conduction study, um, the physiatrist felt like, oh gosh, like you may have an undiagnosed neuromuscular disease and sent me off to a neuromuscular clinic for kind of an urgent continuing workup. And that that was really helpful. And it it reflected and it was responsive to my worsening symptoms. Like it made everything that came out of it made sense and physical therapy prescription. And then for my daughter, 
like what came out of it was an, a prescription for some really like overdue and necessary medical equipment. So an adaptive stroller and leg braces and all these things to help not just support us or keep us from further decline, but help us get out in the world and live life, like their quality of life, improving actions that come out of our trips to physiatry and insights that help accelerate the unfolding mystery of what the heck is happening to us. So get thee to a physiatrist. <laughs> yes, right. But those are, I mean, boy, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of benefit there. I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to get that help and that support. And I feel like it's probably, you know, it's got to be like any other field, right? Where you've got to have that area of expertise, perhaps, and also the right person, the right click, the right connect. And so that plays a part in it as well. However, that specialty area provides a lot of benefit. And I, I appreciate you, you know, sharing a little bit about that. That's, that's one thing I was just in at my physiatrist this week. Elizabeth, and one thing that they they told me with some other of my symptoms that are popping up are it's something we want to monitor. We got to keep an eye on it. If when you come back at the next checkup and that's still going on, you're still noticing that there are other things that we need to look into. Just because you have a, a mitochondrial disease, that does not remove the possibility of anything else ever happening to you. And I said, hey, wh why didn't you tell me about this before? I could have checked the opt out clause. And I wouldn't have had to deal with it, <laughs> you know, like, no, no, thank you. I've got enough going on. Exactly. Their insights are so data driven. And I feel like for some reason, they seem like they're more immunized against certain like clinical biases or like the, the temptation to make everything as simple as possible and put everything in the, the already understood bucket. Like, oh, you have Mito, then whatever's happening, it's Mito, it's noise. It's noise in your body. I get it. It's Mito. My job's done. It's like a continually refreshed curiosity about what's really happening. And by the way, I am not paid by any like American Physiatry Association. The shameless plug is completely sincere. Same. <laughs> yeah. I just honestly adore this field. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Thanks for taking time with me today, sharing about your journey, about your daughter's journey, your conditions, and so glad that our paths crossed, that we were able to connect. Appreciate your friendship and the, the discussion, the discourse, the checking in that we can do. We cross paths on some of the Mito support calls. It's just wonderful and hope we can continue to do that. I know it's a, a busy time. You've got a lot going on. All the best to you moving forward, Elizabeth. Let's stay in touch. And, you know, as, as always, feel free to reach out if you ever think of anything or need anything. And I could I could reflect all the same back back to you. So thank you for your friendship and support. And it's been honestly one of the most meaningful connections to initiate and, and, and foster. So thank you for everything and, and love love all your work for the community. My pleasure. Appreciate that so much, Elizabeth. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Parents is Rare, a series of the Energy in Action podcast. Please be sure to leave a review and a rating for this episode wherever you listen and subscribe and listen to the Energy in Action podcast, where we talk all things Mito. Until next time, remember to show up, be vulnerable, supportive, and kind, and give yourself permission to feel along the way. <laughs>